0: Welcome to the official Ronnie Landis Podcast Show, where you learn to upgrade the human experience through natural nutrition, lifestyle design, and consciousness engineering. This is no ordinary health or personal growth podcast, and Ronnie Landis is definitely no ordinary host. Ronnie Landis is an integrative nutritionist, transformation coach, and human behavioral specialist. He brings on some of the world's leading thought leaders to deliver to you the most cutting-edge information and unique perspectives so you can create the life of your dreams. Get ready to receive your upgrade in all you believed was possible, starting now. Greetings, everyone. Ronnie Landis here, and welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. We have an extraordinary Conversation lined up for you between myself and Dr. Gabriel Cousins. And this is the second interview that I've had him on. The first one, if you have not checked it out, I believe it is episode 56. And that was a monumental 90-minute interview. We dove so deep into so many incredible topics. And I had to bring him back because... I just had so many more questions for him, and I wanted to dive into some unique territory that I've never really heard him talk about, but I always knew was there and it was available, and I just wanted to access some of his perspectives because Dr. Gabriel Cousins is one of the primary like, godfathers of the Living Food Movement, and he's been involved in the movement as a pioneer and as a leader, For Almost 50 years and he has such an incredible academic background, a scientific background, a spiritually inclined background that I just jumped at the chance to bring him back on the show. And he's been a personal mentor of mine for many years as well. So in this conversation, we dove into some interesting topics. We definitely dove into some nutrition and health related topics. However, the way I opened it up with him was, I think, very unique. I really picked his brain on the subject of fear and what the cultural condition of fear in the world really is and, and and how to overcome fear and how to align with our dharma and our destiny and how to live on purpose because this man has been doing it for so, so long. And this just really turned out to be an amazing conversation That went in a number of directions that I think all of you are going to enjoy immensely. So before we dive into that, I also want to let you know, if you don't know about this already, I have an online holistic nutrition and health certification program called the Holistic Health Mastery Program. And this is a a one-of-a-kind online course that has hosted over 200 incredible students from all over the world. And it's about to go through its next big evolution and growth spurt. So I want to invite you, if you are interested in upgrading everything that you've ever known and learned about nutrition, health, raw living foods, and everything related to that subject. I mean, there's so much more going on with it. So I want to invite you to go to my website, holistichealthmastery.com, check it out for yourself, see if it resonates with you. And if it does, I want to invite you to jump on in and join our community of incredible health enthusiasts and educators um, in one of the most amazing online courses that is on the inter- internet today. So there you go. Without further ado, enjoy this interview between myself and Dr. Gabriel Cousins. It's my honor and pleasure to introduce Dr. Gabriel Cousins. How are you doing today? Actually, pretty good. Things are good. A little busy, but good. Mm. How about you? Oh, I'm fantastic. I'm over the moon to be able to have another conversation with you and share this with the world. I'm totally excited.
1: Great. Well, I'm pleased too. I'm very happy to get it out there.
0: Yeah, thank you. You doing good work, but I'm happy to support you doing your good work. Mm, I really, really appreciate that. As as I think you know from our last conversation, um that you've been you've been some somewhat of a mentor for me from a distance, and I've really dug into your body of work over the years, and it's been a foundation for my work. And I just really am excited about this particular conversation because we're going to go through some interesting territory that I don't know that anyone has really, um, I guess, uh, uh, asked you a certain questions. But these are very important questions to me personally, and and all the people that i come across are kind of wondering um certain things um well we'll we'll dive into it but things that aren't commonly asked in i guess the te- the typical conversation or interview so uh just looking forward to diving in here
1: absolutely i love that kind of
0: interview it's great awesome
1: well that's why i'm here because i've been around <laughs> i've been doing this for you know uh, 33 years as a lively vegan, and you know, 43 years in, in terms of active spiritual life. So, it's like I got a little background. So, I love uh, more in depth questions,
0: yes. And thank you for, for sharing that. Actually, before we jump in, um, just for the audience's sake, me and Dr. Cousins did an incredible 90 minute interview. Um, a while back, it's episode 53 for everybody to give you some background. We really dived into Dr. Cousins' background to lead us into the conversation. However, um, just to set this up, uh, could you maybe share just a little bit of where, you know, where what has brought you to this place, just for anyone that's new to this? Well, in
1: 1975... After years of meditation, I met Swami so Muktananda and had kundalini awakening, and I went into the nothing, and as I came out, a little voice rang out and said, you should learn to eat and live in a way it supports the kundalini. Now, kundalini is the transforming spiritual force in the yogic or Vedic scriptures, and from that, I did my research, what's the best diet for spiritual life? what's the best diet for turning us into a superconductor of the divine, and also for health and well-being. So in 1986, I wrote my first book called Spiritual Nutrition and the Rainbow Diet. Since then, I've written about 14 books. I've done a variety of things because also I'm a Native American sun dancer and what we call eagle dancer, and one of the – Few people actually to complete the dance without food and water for four days, mm. which is a bigger deal. And for Eagle Dance, really the only one out of about 18 people to uh, stand from sunrise to sunset and you, uh, you have hooks through your chest to the tree. I'll just put it that way. And I'm also a rabbi and acknowledge yogi and uh, obviously by this time a leader one of the leaders in the life food movement, life food vegan movement. We have programs in uh, 13 different countries, 17 different programs. We're bringing the veganism to the world. And I've spoken in over 40 countries. And mm. at the Trail of Life Center U.S., we've had people come here for now 127 different countries. Um, what I'm known a little bit more on the physical plane is There is a cure for diabetes, which we have the highest diabetes healing rate, type 2, uh, ever reported, which is 61% of type 2 non-insulin-dependent, 24% of type 2 insulin-dependent, which uh, is unheard of Mm -hmm. since people think it's an incurable disease. And that's in three weeks. After that, it goes up, but we just did the study for three weeks. And on the side, although we're not currently seeing type 1s, uh, 21% of the type 1s healed, which is impossible, wow. according to things. And uh, that means off all medications, off all insulin. Now, type 1, off all insulin is a pretty big deal. Yeah. And let you go less than 100. So that's kind of some of the work. And basically, I work as a holistic health physician using all these backgrounds, but, you know, we have a variety of things, but we have this 21-day program, which is also Healing Diabetes Natural. Oh, I was my wife and I also teach sacred relations as a spiritual path. Mm. So we kind of come from a few different angles.
0: Mm, beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing that with us because that leads us into my first question, which is a unique one. Um, I'm just really curious, Dr. Cousins, after all these years, what is it that drives you that carry on the work you do in the world? I mean, you must have been through so much in your life, not to mention just your profession. I'm just always curious, what drives people to really commit their life to powerful work such as yours?
1: Well, it's, it's actually simpler than that. I never considered committing my life to anything. It's not my life. That's an illusion. Mm. It's, my, my, it's my alignment with the, with the divine will, and that's just what I'm supposed to do. And wow. I'm going to tell you, for the next 17 years, full on. Mm. It, it, and, and so when one aligns with what your mission is, that's what you do. It's not like I committed. There's no I to commit, if you get what I just said. Yes. that's an, That would be an ego statement. It. This is what I'm supposed to do. That's it. And that's it. And actually, it's really for the next 19 years. So that's the story. It's like this is this is it. My purpose is to merge with the divine, and this has been my assignment. So you do it. It's a little bit that simple.
0: Wow, that's that's possibly the greatest answer I could have expected. I really, that 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 lines up a lot for me personally, and I feel yeah, I, I feel like. My personal, my personal stumbling blocks, if you will, when I get frustrated or I get kind of weighed down or usually because I'm thinking too much of myself and I'm not opening up to the actual purpose of why I'm on the planet. Exactly. That's
1: what we're talking about. So either we're doing our dharma, or doing our purpose or we're completely missing the point Mm. (laughs) and everything else is not my, it's not really our choice. Now, I'm going to go into free will for a moment because at the higher level, there's no free will. Mm. Okay, but on the earth plane, there really is. And all the dominating systems, the fascist systems, uh, you know, one world government system, the globalists they want to take away free will and make you a slave. But it's free will that's we need on the earth plane to evolve spiritually. We have to make those choices, and that's what helps us grow spiritually.
0: Mm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's just super helpful. Um and that, you know what, I that leads perfectly into my next my next question, which is um, I would really appreciate it if you could just share maybe some of your insights around the nature of fear and what might have aided you in your personal journey to override maybe certain fears that you've faced or what you see other people in their journey um how they're, I guess, overcoming or transcending fearful blocks in their life.
1: These are a very good questions. So I, I, I just completed a draft two of my next book, which is is called "Dying into the Nothing: A Spiritual Autobiography." My life is my teaching. Okay, and the truth is, everybody that I've ever met at some point has to confront their fear. Mm. And what is that fear? Well, there are lots of levels of fear, but I put it fear of going into the nothing, fear of going into the unknown of the divine. the primal fear. Now, Mm. the good news is we have a primal instinct. The primal instinct is not sex or war. Like Mm. Freud says, the primal instinct is to know God. Mm. So once that divine urge is activated, okay, which is what the Shaktipat does, and I've been empowered by my uh spiritual teacher from India to activate that Shaktipat. It's a lineage. It goes back really about eight thousand years. Okay, once that's activated, once the divine urge is activated, then you just go. <laughs> and and you so that urge overcomes your fear. Mm. Uh, that's key now in sacred relationship you have that urge anyway but there's another piece which in the 90s it got popular uh, love is overcoming fear and I don't agree with that (laughs) what happens is love uh, gives you the courage to face your fear and move on even though the fear is there Mm. slightly teaching so you, we have that divine urge which empowers you to overcome your fear because it's like, what else is there? You know, we 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 have to cash in all our chips because the only game in mm. town is knowing so oh. God. That, so. That's not a gamble. Everything else is a
0: gamble. Oh mm. wow! That I got a puncture. I got to punctu- just put the the. Um, <laughs> uh, what you just said was the best ever. <laughs> is that we have to cash in our chips. And actually what I, what I just got from what you just said is that um, it's not, we, we oftentimes think of like taking action as like, Oh, it's going to be a gamble. You got to roll the dice. But I feel like not taking the action, not acting on the impulse of life is actually more of a gamble than actually just taking courageous action.
1: That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, there is no gamble. It, it's the only game in town. The <laughs> illusion is to think, oh, I'm going to do this and this, and there's a gamble and there's a risk. The only game in town is knowing God. That's why we're here, wow. period. So, so yeah. cash in the chips, don't think you're gambling, it's done, it's, done, it's over. Mm. So so that's the thing that honestly helped us over uh, overcome the fear. And I want to, again, say – that desire and resist for God is a primal fear that almost everyone faces. And I do. I remember in 1973, I had a particular experience of that fear. And I really had to say, well, what am I doing here? And then I, I you know, overcame it. And, and, and so it's a fairly cosmic It's very, very, very human um, people on the spiritual web And I try to make people feel at the ease. There's nothing wrong with the fear. It's normal, but you have to face it and overcome it. In relationships, you have your fear of intimacy and ultimately your fear of God, too. And so love empowers you to overcome your fear. It doesn't make it go away, but it empowers it. Mm. So, but on the spiritual path, really, that's it. You, you know, We just have to face it and move on. Um, that's the power. The divine urge is the power that helps us overcome that fear.
0: Oh. And then you
1: never look back. And then you never look back.
0: Mm. so brilliant. There's, it's so fascinating because so many things are kind of emerging through me within that. But um, I, I think you really encapsulated very well, and it's, it's. I think it's going to actually se- um, seg- segue really beautifully into. The next question, which is revolving around the concept of a healing crisis, um, and it'll be interesting to see how what you just shared with us around the nature of fear might might actually come into this. Um, I would just like you to maybe discuss the concept of a Herzheimer syndrome or a healing crisis during detoxification and possibly what kind of tools have you used to help people experience more of a graceful detox process
1: okay so that's again a very very good question and so let me just talk a little bit about detox because then we yes. we can come to the right answer so in my world there's four levels of detox physical emotional mental and spiritual so we, and so when we have the spiritual past, we're, we're focusing on all four levels, not just a physical detox. That's first first point. All have to be addressed. And when you address all four, it really significantly decreases the detox. Mm. Okay, because sometimes you have an emotional detox, you think it's some kind of physical detox. I mean, that is what happens. But if you're addressing all four, people are tuned in. Now on the physical level... I'm going to just uh, say it a little differently. During a spiritual fast, uh, we, we become very spiritually empowered. But at a physical level, we have to be uh, physically empowered. And what that is, is building the vital life force. Mm. The vital life force is what throws the toxins, the physical toxins, out of the cell so we can appropriately detox. And the main reason people got get toxic is what we call innervation, meaning our ability to detox is compromised at all four levels. Now, when you are able to activate all four levels, uh, undo all four levels of innervation, meaning physical, uh, you know, but ri- decreased vital life force, decreased emotional, mental, um, balance and, and strength, and decrease you know decrease spiritual life. That's what minimizes our ability to detox in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Turn it around the other way. So if we're amping all four of those levels. Truly, the amount of, phys, of you know, physical detox that people look at is, 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 is much less because physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual are all linked. So if you're doing all those, significantly drops it, okay, big time. Now, I have a variety of other things we do during our spiritual fasting, Okay, besides meeting with people and we meditate twice a day, that kind of thing. Um, And they're getting shocked. But there's a lot of energy on the spiritual plane. Um, But on the physical plane, we use uh, a thing called seropeptase, which is a vegan um, proteolytic enzyme, which actually dissolves a lot of the uh, junk in the system. The research goes back to 1930s where a group called went, went and Went, I guess a family group, discovered that between the cells in the capillaries is this thing called the basement membrane. And that, for most people, gets pretty clogged up. But in babies, it's huge. It's completely open. So when we dissolve the junk in the basement membrane, which is usually protein, toxic protein, we're able to make uh, really facilitate the healthy uh, detox with minimum physical healing crisis. Mm. So when, I, when I figured that out, okay, which maybe 20 years ago, then I said, well, how do we do that? And one of the things is these special proteolytic enzymes that um, actually dissolve and then greatly enhance our ability to, to dissolve the toxins uh, in, in a way that kind of that helps a lot. The other thing is I have a special fasting elixir that helps the liver and kidneys because in the first seven days, because there's like cycles, okay? In the first seven days, um, you have a kidney and liver stress, so we want to support the kidneys and liver. Mm-hmm. And we have the uh, emotional, mental, and physical, so I have a combination I call the, the flower elixir, flower gym gem elixir, that works on the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual planes. Mm. So all that is happening. You know, and those are some simple things we do. We also do the triyoga because we know when people do a kind of a complete flowing yoga system, you're squeezing vaccines out in a good way, and you're supporting the lymph and you're supporting the blood. Mm. So do supportive things in that way. Well, those are, I'm gonna say, the overall kind of basics, and the result is. We rarely have a serious detox. It can happen, but it's, I would say a 400%, because I've measured this, a 400% decrease in, you know, uh, detox difficulties, literally 400%. Now, I've also measured what we call bowel toxins, which is a big deal. And that's why we do enemas one or two times a day that speeds getting the bowel toxins out. And I find, because we measured it, actually, um, the bowel type of detox. Because the system doesn't really go in to uh, destroying dead and dying cells until maybe day two. Now, it takes somewhere between 10 and, I'm going to say, 24 hours to go into fasting detox, which is a slightly ketogenic diet. Mm. So that's only the seven-day cycle minimum. Yeah. That's,
0: a, that's, a, that's a point I'd like to maybe go a little bit deeper with you on, is this idea of going into a natural state of ketosis, because as you're probably aware, there's a huge movement of ketogenic diets, which I just kind of, once I really dug into the research and I really experimented with more of a longer-term, like 16-hour a longer like to 20-hour fasting cycles, um, I started to realize that a lot of that information or perspective largely brought by the paleo movement is a little bit right. contrived and doesn't actually make sense because I, I just looked at it from a metabolic perspective of of how when we go through a fasting stage, our body goes through glycogen as the sugar reserves and then taps into its ketones as a backup <coughs> energy supply. And I realized like maybe this is actually – and goes through autophagy, breaking down protein deposits yeah. through the- oh. Oh. yeah that's right. Okay, that's how you that's how you pronounce it. But about- the autophagy is same thing. Same thing. Okay. Right. So so my my so I just wanted to kind of shed light on that and get your perspective um, because a lot of people are kind of confused about um, I guess like a, an authentic ketosis by just eating a lot of fat. Um, largely, mostly it's promoted animal fat, right? Um, Right. So, yeah. Okay, so what happens is, um,
1: you know, as you move to the ketogenic diet, and every is a little different. It could happen as soon as 10 hours, it can actually be two days. Okay? Mm-hmm. Just depends where you are. You start producing a particularly important ketone called uh, uh, beta-alpha-glutaric uh, um, uh, uh, acid. Mm-hmm. Okay? Hydrax- it's beta-hydroxybutyric acid. That improves brain function by 25% and heart function by 25%. Okay, now, what is considered a ketogenic diet? They say 100 grams or less of carbohydrate per day. So here's the thing that's interesting. In in our diet, and it's according to one's constitution, but basically the amount of – Carbohydrates, maybe, maybe 60 grams. So we're already slightly ketogenic. Mm -hmm. So we're already kind of going, and that's our general diet. That's like our phase 1, phase 1.25 general diet. That's the, you know, veganic 80% live food diet minimum. So we're already kind of there. Now, if you measure ketones in the boat, it won't be any change. Um, We we measure it in the urine, which is – it helps a little bit so those are you know kind of the bigger story is when you're eating and this is um this is another problem with the paleolithic meat paleolithic i kind of what i see in a way is that we're we're doing a vegan paleolithic so what does that mean Mm. you know uh just for people's reference 60% 60% of the Native Americans were vegans and uh, a high percentage that were on live food, you know, historically. Two major studies have shown that. Okay, I'm not talking about eating buffalo. That's different because that's the Plains Indians, but not everybody lived was a Lakota. I'm initiated in the Lakota, and that's good, but you get what I'm saying. There's a big, broad variation of that. So, and we know there's different uh, genetically In chromosome 19, it says what percentage of protein, what percentage of fat, what percentage of carbohydrate you should have in your diet. That's a genetic issue. It's not a theoretical issue. Mm. It's not a personal preference issue. So we basically see that really the best – so according to your constitution, some people need more protein. Some people need less. Now here's the key. More is not anything more than 70 grams, okay? If you're a Peli Lick, you're you're probably way more than 70 grams. Um, And so you have to be between 35 and 70 grams. That's called the M, then capital T, capital O, capital R. It's a long, complicated name, but the point is that's a pathway that gives you the optimum longevity, okay? And it's also an anti-cancer pathway. So if you keep your... uh, Grams of protein between 35 and 70, 70 you're, you're in good shape. Now, some people like me, I don't need a lot of protein. I'm about 10% protein. I used to be 8%. Wow. And that's why what, that's what I did 601 push-ups when I was 60, okay? Last week, I hit 90 pull-ups, and I moved it from 8% to 10%. That's all I did because with AIDS, you got to take a little bit more protein. But that's a lot less than most people get. But for my constitution, that's fine. More than that, not so good for me. Mm. And I'm, I'm somewhere between 45 percent. I'm going to say forty five percent carbohydrate for me. Carbohydrate is leafy greens and sprouts. Okay, it, it doesn't include grain or very very little grain. You know, maybe one percent. Okay, but basically, it's not grain. It's leafy greens, vegetables. Uh, and sprouts, and then um, for fat, and that's my plant-based fat, and it's raw. Big, big difference between cooked animal fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uh, I'm more like 25 30 percent. I recommend, in general, depending on your constitution, between twenty-five and forty-five percent. So I don't give you the usual vegan of a seventy percent complex carbohydrate diet. It and so I kind of agree with the Paleolithic or motors work. But why? why? Well, because at the age of 70, um, cognitive decline is four times higher if you have a higher carbohydrate diet. Mm-hmm. And it's 42% lower, which is pretty important, mm-hmm. cognitive decline. You know, I kind of see that uh, the body is there to carry the brain around. So cognitive decline is 42% less if you're getting adequate fat. Again, we're talking plant-based fat, we're not talking about club fat, and we're not talking about trans fats. Mm -hmm. Does that give you a kind of feeling? So there's a range. Personally, I don't need much protein. Other people need double what I get, but they're still within the 70. So the key is 35 to 70. That's the key concept. And obviously, you eat the fat as according to your need. So I'm, I'm somewhere, I, I would say I'm probably 35% uh, of plant-based fat. That's nuts and seeds and things like that. And avocados, uh, uh, that kind of stuff. And a little bit of coconut oil.
0: Mm, I imagine you're not having to do protein powders. Well, for other reasons, Mm-hmm. I take
1: a, a up to a tablespoon total for the whole day of, of blue green algae. Yeah, but you know, in essence, it's a protein powder. But I'm I'm doing it for different reasons. I'm not really doing it for protein, but I c- include that in my ten percent protein. actually, part of the reason is yes, I had to go from eight to ten percent, and I had an immediate uh kind of increase because with age now here's here's the paradox so middle age uh, uh, people um, if you're doing higher protein I'm going to define that's more than seventy grams uh, you're going to double your mortality rate and quadruple your rate of cancer wow okay now when you hit sixty you got to increase your protein a little bit. Because of the way we digest food. So it it, it varies uh, o- over your chronological age span. And so that's why I kind of, okay, I'm going to take some blue-green algae here. I, I need to stand up, up it a little bit. I don't, don't want to eat more, but I'll just take a little bit. So it's a, a total of one tablespoon. It's not a whole lot.
0: mm yeah, this is this is interesting. I'm, I'm very much similar to you in that way. I find that I pretty much thrive on a lower calorie, higher micronutrient-based diet for the most right. part, and it actually allows me to go through um, fasting cycles with complete dominion over my faculties. I don't have any blood sugar dips. I rarely ever feel genuinely hungry. If I do eat, it's usually for entertainment or boredom or something. Um and I'm and I work out vigorously and I'm just developing muscle definition and growth um while in a fasting state before and after weightlifting. So it's it's a very fascinating kind of metabolic adaptation that I'm noticing and my hormones seem to be like getting just more topped up as I go along.
1: Well, actually I did my six hundred and one push ups in the sixth day of a juice fast. That's amazing. So I'm right there with it. So, you know, as we do this, our assimilation improves and everything, we we get better. Really, the main danger uh, is too much carbohydrates. Mm. Uh, It's the main danger because of what I mentioned. It does have a negative effect on uh, your your, your cognitive. I mean, four times greater cognitive decline after 70. That's not what you want to hear about, right? Mm. So... That's a big thing, a big downside of the traditional vegan diet is this high complex carbohydrate, low protein, low fat because people vary. And the truth is about 70% of the population needs a higher protein, higher fat diet and a lower car- carbohydrate. Yeah. And, you know, and so it's it's kind of like it's good for some people but not good for the other 70%. So it's just something keep in mind, we are unique biological individuals, it is determined in our chromosomes, and so our job is to find out our constitution and eat according to that, those constitutional outlines, but well, we never really want to get more than 70% protein in our diet, and mm. that's kind of a key for longevity and for anti-cancer
0: in a video that you did many years back on YouTube about like is a hundred percent fruit diet healthy, one of the great quotes you you had in that was that the exception does not make the rule exactly and i've and I've really looked at that for years and know so many people in the the fruit fanatic <laughs> world if you will and I've actually observed like the the I've observed like wow, this does seem to be working really good. For the most part, all things considered for a certain amount of people. Um, however, I don't see that as, the, as, the, as kind of the rule. So I just like that, that quote, um, yeah. the exception does not make the rule. And oftentimes I feel like people that do thrive as an exceptional case tend to, um, tend to try to make a rule out of it as if that's like what everybody else should do because that's the thing that helped them.
1: Totally. And the, the issue is exactly it's like what works for me doesn't necessarily work for anyone else because we are unique individuals. We're not a bunch of cows eating grass. <laughs> and, and it's a hugely important concept. So I can support, you know, maybe in my observation, maybe less than one percent of, the, uh, uh, you know, of the population need can go with this a uh, food based diet, full, you know, fruitarian diet. But again, the rule the exception is in the rule and and once we people get that and they're able to say, look, I'm a unique individual, I have it planned on my chromosome system, chromosome nineteen, what it should be for me, well then that's where you're going to be successful. And following that, because I look at success in the big and you know, is that I only have one person who who's in intent in forty years who couldn't do a live food vegan diet, and that was a person who was born near the Arctic Circle. Mm. And she, she was in 10, but she had to eat fish once a week. you know. But what I'm saying is, one person in 40 years? <laughs> so when, when people really uh, understand that we are unique, biologically in, uh, individual people, we don't have that, my diet is good for everybody, mm. kind of attitude. That's very much egoic and identification your identification with your body as what
0: truth is. Oh, that's oh man, that's a big one. I find um, I find in my exploring those the psychological and emotional factors of nutrition and some of the the people with the the uh, loudspeaker, if you will. Um, yeah. They, I've I've looked at more of the psychological and possibly even insecurities behind what drives a lot of people's message over many years. And I found like, wow, it's, it must be very difficult for somebody to change their public opinion when they've developed a career or identity. Around. So the point is,
1: we are unique biological individuals. We have um, maybe 20,000 to 30,000 know, genes and maybe 200,000 gene variations. We need to accept our uniqueness Mm-hmm. And in that uniqueness, once we get it and understand how we're unique, talking about that, then we're going to have optimal. Right. But if you're not following your uniqueness, you're trying to, you think you're a cow, you're going to follow how somebody's going to eat. You're <laughs> you're really uh, um, going to not get optimal unless by accident. Mm.
0: Yeah, I love how you look through the lenses of common sense. That's one thing I really appreciate about you. Mm. I'm not
1: attached to anyone' theory. I'm here's your, our job find out what your constitution is. If you're fruitarian, great. If you're part of that and that makes you optimal, good. But if you're somebody who needs more vegetables or needs more protein, then you got to follow that too. But you just you know, as long as we're in that 35 to 70 grams, we're we're going to be fine.
0: Mm. So I would would love to hear your perspective on how people on a live food vegan diet can ensure that they they remain in a healthy hormone range because there's just a lot of controversy on this topic in particular as hormones have become a very big topic of discussion and there's all kinds of different perspectives on it from every little nook and cranny of the nutrition circle. I'm just curious from your experience and your... um, yeah, your experience working with people, and obviously you're an incredible testament of this. Right. Well, I kind of
1: a little bit more simplistic with it. Mm-hmm. Everything is on your hypothalamus, pituitary, pineal, adrenal axis it works right, and you are going to produce the appropriate amount of hormones for your for you where you are in your time. Now, I do want to say, again, there's an emotional, mental, and spiritual aspect. It. So like for men, if, if men um, are very stressed, their testosterone will go down. Mm-hmm. That's just what's going to happen. Okay, so there's a, there's a play because your mental state affects your hormone balance. But, let, but if you're really aligned in all those levels, you're going to produce the appropriate amount of hormones to make everything work right. So it's it, it, it's a subtle play, but it isn't just a physical play. Mm-hmm. Your, your emotions, your mental and your spiritual aspects play a huge role in your hormonal balance. So we have to be careful not to think it's all about food.
0: For sure, and I and I found through my research of studying the effects of stress and basic lifestyle factors that stress may be the most powerful. Cancer growth hormone in terms of converting into like steroidal forms of estrogen right. and estrogen T- dominance
1: so the cortisol is your your death hormone mm. whoa and and when people are under stress, their cortisol goes way high, and women post menopause it goes high and stays high, which is very detrimental, so our job is to die, you know is mentally to, to, uh, and emotionally be at a more centered, calm state. This is why the research shows that people meditate for who have been meditating for more than seven years have a physiology that's fifteen years younger. Mm. Because we're not activating death hormones. <laughs> <right? laughs> so there's some, you know. So we have to see it again. Get away from just the physical way of, of interpreting what's happening. I think the mental state is way, way, way more
0: important. I absolutely agree with you, Dr. Cousins. And that's something that I'm always focusing on in my own life. And I find that that's the primary focus of the work I do with my personal clients is more so focusing on what are their motivational triggers behind why they do what they do? What needs are they trying to fulfill um, opposed to just trying to change the cosmetically change the eating habits or, or things in their life. It's to me, it feels like, well, how can you become the thing that you're attempting to experience opposed to necessarily always focusing on how do I rearrange my life to get my needs met? Yes. And, uh,
1: part of our 21 day transformational cycle, I have a whole course to empower people how to do that.
0: Mm.
1: So, because absolutely what you said is completely accurate. It's completely right on, and that's really one of the most basic and important ways to begin to uh, uh, get some clarity about what's going on. Mm. So we we teach that. I call it the zero-point course. I mean, I I teach it four times a year. People can just take the zero-point course, but it's part of our 21-day transformation. We have the seven-day fast and the zero-point for four days, a little bit of a break, and then the whole conscious eating, which, again— is eating in a way to be, you know, support you becoming a, a superconductor of the divine.
0: Mm, mm, beautiful. And People can find all that information on your website and how they can they can join one of your programs.
1: Yeah, DrCousins.com. Real simple. No, Dr. But no, no dot there. Just DrCousins.com. Yeah, it takes you everywhere you're going. Okay. You know, we're, we're doing we do fast in different places. We do four fasts a year here at the Tree of Life in Arizona. I do two fasts a year in Israel. We're doing our most of We're kind of we're full, actually. But um, in, in, in about a week, we're already filled up for the 21-day program. But the next one is March in Israel, um, March 20th through the uh, 28th. Mm-hmm. So... You know, and then we have another cycle in April, and when you know, so it's four times a year, and that's that the key. But there's two other fasts that people are from Europe or what they'll, they'll go Israel because that's how uh, short like. like.
0: Mm, fantastic. I um, I have one more question as we conclude, and this has been an amazing conversation. I feel like the most appropriate question coming through me is simply. Uh, how how can people actually just? Hmm, how can people? Huh, it's funny. It's, I'm kind of the words are 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 I'm attempting to use the right word here. Um, how can people love themselves more, just for simplicity's sake? Well, you
1: it's a,
0: you're asking really great questions the whole interview.
1: So let me just honor that. Okay, thank you. And what I say is key to the healing talk. Diabetes, but it's all healing. You have to love yourself enough to want to heal yourself, right? Okay, now, how happened? Well, the illusion in relationships is somehow I'll be whole and I'll be loved. No, relationships don't give you love, they amplify it. (laughs) Relationships don't give you wholeness, you have to be whole, but you can, it amplifies it. So, where does the love come? So we are that. And so what happens is as you get a little deeper. And I'm going to go a little yoga here for a moment. We have, uh, you know, you have your meridians and you have your chakras. and, and, and But there's a, a, a whole system called the koshas, which are layers of the mind. And the fifth layer, Anandamaya kosha, before you kind of break through, you Dip into non-causal love, and that comes from within you. Mm -hmm. Non-causal joy, non-causal peace, non-causal compassion. It's actually who we are as human beings. And so, when we dip into that level, then that inner love happens in a big way. No cause, (laughs) not because somebody smiled at you or you had a good whatever. It's who we are, Mm -hmm. not cause of love. Love is who we are, peace is who we are, compassion is who we are. That's just our nature. And the more we tap into that, then we are able to truly love ourselves enough to want to heal ourselves in that more cosmic way. And that's kind of the inner uh, subtlety there.
0: Hmm. That's fantastic. So essentially there's no cause for the effect of love. Correct. Not, it's who yeah. we are. It's who we are. It's a state of being
1: Fantastic! It's our nature. It's our nature. Mm. You know, peace is our nature. Love is our nature. Compassion is our nature. Contentment, joy—it's who we are. It's it's, and we have to tap into it through, you know, our spiritual practices. Our diet is one aspect. You can't eat your way to God. Diet is a supportive aspect. So that's that's what we're talking about. We we tap into our nature, and then you can love yourself enough to want to heal yourself.
0: And that's it, right? When we when we actually tap into the desire and the willingness to heal ourselves through actually wanting to love ourselves more. I feel like that's really where the universe reveals its secrets opposed yes. to forcing things down our throat in order to uh, I don't know attempt to love ourselves but we're not really loving ourselves are we? We're kind of we're almost like medicating ourselves just with maybe better food.
1: Exactly. And food is just part of it. I mean, it's emotional, mental, and spiritual again. But I'm talking really for all the planes. When we hit that fifth layer in another system called Haranamaya Kosha, there's six layers, you'll never be. But the point is, the non-maya Kosha, Haranamaya Kosha, it's where everything becomes what it really is non causal. Mm-hmm. We are the causal level. And from that, we love ourselves enough to want to heal ourselves.
0: Beautiful. I think that's a, that's a incredible point to conclude on. Dr. Cousins, I am grateful and just honored to have this conversation with you.
1: Great. I, I just want to honor you. You've asked some very excellent questions, very deep, very perceptive. So I can tell you're really on track in a really good way. So may you be blessed in this mm-hmm. coming new year that you're able to share your light with Everybody come in contact. Mm-hmm.
0: I really appreciate that. And with with uh, with the interview like this, I feel that that, is, um, that light is it's just growing brighter. So thank you.
1: Great. And may everyone who's listening, may you too be blessed that you're able to tap into the truth of who you are.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, <coughs> thank you so much for joining me.
1: Okay. Thank you for your good work. Take care.